Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and we're in the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible or your Bible app, turn, turn with us. Actually, before, before you turn with us to Mark chapter, wherever we are, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. We're going to go into, into chapter 12 a little bit today as well. Before we look at all that, I thought we would, we would start because, because today, this is the part of Scripture. Let me just give you a if you're new, by the way, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark all year long, and we're, we're in this section of Scripture now uh, where Jesus is in the temple, uh, he's in Jerusalem, this is the beginning of his Passion Week. I know it's really weird that we would be studying that now in October, but it's because we started the Gospel of Mark at the beginning of the year, it's just where, it's just where we happen to be. So normally you'd be covering passages like what we're covering today, you'd be covering them in the spring as you're, as you're heading toward Easter. But this is where God's word has us as a church for today. So if we look at, if we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at this passage today that's going to be all about godly authority. And so we're, we're, we're going to get to the place, if, you've, if you're familiar with this, we're going to get to this, this place where the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, come to Jesus and basically say, like, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? This is that place in Scripture where, where the religious leaders are going to challenge Jesus's authority, okay? And so the question we're going to be addressing today, the, the question we're going to be answering today, we're going to kind of try to pull this thread through the whole message today is, is this, is spiritual authority a thing anymore? Okay, so because 2,000 years ago, the, the, leader, the religious leaders are going to ask Jesus about his authority. Why does he have authority? Like, remember last week, he's flipping over the tables, not not like doing backflips over tables, but flipping tables over in the, because did you know that if you, if you have AI paint a picture of Jesus flipping over the tables, it'll literally have him doing backflips over the tables. <laughs> but that's why we don't use AI to prepare our sermons, because that's not what Jesus was like flipping over. Last week we saw, which was yesterday in real time for Jesus, so the day before, the story we're about to, to look at today, the day before, Jesus was flipping over the tables. So now he's back in Jerusalem. He's, he's back in the temple, and the Pharisees are going to say, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you have the authority to do this? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Before we do, and we're going to get into all that. We've got a lot of passages to cover today. But before we do any of that, I want to I go to an Old Testament psalm that Jesus is going to quote today. And this is so fascinating, I, I thought I would start the sermon by reading the psalm so that you can understand the brilliance of Jesus in his response to the Pharisees, okay? So the, the, what we're going to be looking at today, the question is, is, there, is spiritual authority a thing anymore? Because a lot of people today would say, I'd just do whatever I want. I mean, Alpine Church, we're a non-denominational church. So maybe you, co you come from a church background that's a little bit more kind of top-down, a little bit more structured, but now you're at Alpine, you're like, we get to drink coffee, you know, you get to wear shorts to church and, and T-shirts to church and flip-flops to church if you got the toes for it, which I don't. So <laughs> we've got all this stuff going on. We, we've got all these, a lot, of, a lot of times people have these questions like, this, is spiritual authority even a thing? Or, or now that we have grace, now that Jesus died for us, now that we can drink coffee and, and be more relaxed and casual, like, does, do we just throw authority out the window? Just everybody just do whatever they want. Just live, live free and be whoever you want because Jesus set us free. So I think there's a, there's a sense that some people have, and maybe you're here today and you're one of these people, there's a sense that some people have 
that, that it's kind of a, we're, we're kind of in this anything goes era. And so we're going to take a look at that today through the eyes of Jesus. In fact, a lot of this is because a lot of people think that spiritual authority has been so toxic and abusive, and that was the case in Jesus' day, we're going to see this, that, that there's a, a temptation to think then the new way, the new way, the new covenant, the new way of relating to God is absent of authority. And so we're going to be answering that question today. But I want to start, like I said, I want to start back in, in Psalm 118. Okay, because Psalm 118, this is one you can read for yourself. We're going, to, we're going to read a little bit of it today. And some of this is going to show up in Jesus' answer for the Pharisees. Okay, so here's what, here's what Psalm 18 was. It was the last of the six hallelujah psalms. So these were psalms for the people of Israel that were really, really important. Um, and this psalm in particular was already, we've already addressed this in a couple of weeks ago. Remember when Jesus was, gets on a donkey and he comes into Jerusalem and the, all the people start saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that from a few weeks ago where it's Palm, that's Palm Sunday thing? That's from Psalm 118. So Psalm 118 has already shown up in the last couple of weeks in the Gospel of Mark and it's gonna show up again today, but I want you to know that Psalm 18 was one of the songs that the people of Israel sung during the Passover festival. And this, this was the, what's going on right now today was the Passover festival for the people of, people of God. So remember that if you, know, if you heard of the Last Supper where Jesus sits down with his disciples, in which he's gonna do a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark, he's gonna sit down and have his Last Supper with them. And it says in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 14, it says that they sang a song together. It was Psalm 118. This was the song that Jesus is gonna sing like a few days away from what we're about to read today. So I'm, I'm setting all this up because I want you to understand like the, just the brilliance of God's word, first of all, the brilliance of God's word. And I want you, I'm gonna read some of Psalm 118 because I want you to get some context for the conversation that Jesus is about to have with the Pharisees. And it, the conversation is all about authority. Who has authority? And remember, the, the religious leaders thought that they had authority, but Jesus comes in, they're flipping over tables, showing that he has authority, and all of this is in the context of something that, that God had already written through his psalmist 800 years earlier in Psalm 118. Okay, here's, here's what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, and this is probably what they would do together at the Passover meal, let all Israel repeat, and then they would all repeat together. You can do it, say it with me. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, I'm gonna say it two more times for you, so get ready. Now, that was your freebie. I'm gonna have you do this. We're gonna be like Jewish people from 2,000 years ago. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, so that's the first part of Psalm 118. Your job's done, thank you. And it goes on, it says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Now think about this, this is Psalm 118, but if you think about this in terms of what Jesus is about to do, what is he about to do? He's about to go to the cross. He's about to go to the cross. 
It goes on and says, yes, the Lord is for me and he'll help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. Remember, Jesus is about ready to go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and leaders in, in the synagogue or in the temple, and they hate Jesus. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So now we're starting to talk about authority. Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them with all the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them with all the authority of the Lord. This is, what Je- this is again, Psalm 118, which is really a prophetic psalm when you think about what's about to happen in the, in the week following today's text. It says, verse 12, they swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them with all the authority of the Lord. So this psalm is about authority. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. Do you see some prophecy there? My enemies did their best to kill me again. So in case you don't know the story, Jesus is going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. By the end of this week, they're going to put him on a sham trial, and they're going to have the Romans hang him on a cross. Because they think they have, the spiritual leaders we're about ready to see think they have the authority but Jesus has the authority. And at the end of this psalm, psalm verse, uh, verse 22, it says this, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This, by the way, is what Jesus is gonna quote to them. So this is the part he's gonna quote to them. We'll come back to this. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. So we see these themes of authority running through Psalm 118. Psalm 118 already showed up on Jesus' approach to Jerusalem when he gets on the donkey. Remember, for this, the whole book of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been telling people, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. Nope, don't tell anyone. He's healing people. He's like, don't tell anybody, but they can't help themselves. They go tell people. And now, finally, two weeks ago when Jesus Two weeks ago for us, but a couple days ago in real time, Jesus enters into, during the Passover festival when Psalm 118 is like on full display, which is a prophecy about him. I hope you're kind of connecting the dots. I hope we didn't go too fast, too far too fast here this morning, but it's just, I'm exci- you can tell I'm excited about this. This, this is God's word. It's so good. He, he comes, he's like, I'm going I'm, I'm to tell people now. I'm going to tell people now. It's time now. So he gets on a donkey, he fulfills these prophecies about the Messiah, they're singing Psalm 118 to him, and he's not saying, no, shh, don't sing that, no, he's like, sing it, bring it on, like, yep, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one, and sure enough, because he was so bold, by the end of the week, he's going to be hanging on the cross. This is why he kept telling everybody to quiet down, because his time hadn't come, but now his time had come. And he's, and he's ready for everyone to hear it. And he's gonna fulfill the stuff that we see in Psalm 118 and all over the Bible. And so that's the context for all of this. And, and again, the question we're, gonna be ans- we're answering is about spiritual authority. Is it a thing anymore? Because this is what the people are gonna ask Jesus himself. So let's go to the text, Mark 11. Here, finally, we're ready to go to Mark 11. Here we go. Mark 11, starting verse 27. Again, they entered Jerusalem as Jesus was walking through the temple area 
the leading priests. So this is his third time in Jerusalem, by the way, on this week. So, so he comes down the first time. Remember a couple weeks ago, he, he gets there, he just looks around, then he goes back to Bethany. Last week, he gets there, he flips over the to- tables. He's like, I can't believe you're doing this here. And now this is the third time he's in Jerusalem. And it says he's walking through the temple area and the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders came to join him. See those three groups? Leading priests, teachers of religious law, and the elders. Those three groups constitute the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is kind of like the, the supreme court for the Jewish people. So the Sanhedrin is these three groups, leading priests, teachers of religious law, and the elders. And, and in the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to see Mark is going to lay out for us the challenge, first of all, from the, uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are going to challenge him about authority. Next week, the next group is going to challenge him about taxes to Caesar. And then in the third week, there's going to be one more challenge. So it's almost like Mark is kind of outlining the next few weeks for us. But they're all part of the Sanhedrin. The, the, again, the leaders, the authority. For the Jewish people. They're the ones who had authority. They have the authority over Jewish people, but they even, in some sense, had authority over, over, I mean, the Romans gave them authority. It's not just God gave them authority, but they, even Rome gave them a certain amount of authority. And so anyway, they come up to Jesus, and they demand Jesus, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Now again, we don't, it doesn't exactly say what things we're talking about, but probably it's talking about what happened the, week, the day before when he flipped over the tables in the temple, at least part of it. Like, who said you could come in here and do that? This was our system that we set up. We set up all the, the sacrifices and the ability to buy sacrifices and, and to cha- exchange money at the temple. Like, we, this was our, it had our stamp of approval. Why did you come in here and just mess everything up? This is what they're talking about. So they were offended because they felt like they had the authority. They felt like this nobody, because remember, from the vantage point of the Pharisees, Jesus was a nobody. He was a carpenter's son, not formally educated. He didn't come up through the ranks like they did. And they're like, who does this guy think he is? They're frustrated, they're angry, and we've already seen they're looking for a way to trap him and they're looking for a way to kill him. And Jesus says this, I love, this is so brilliant. He says this, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Jesus was so good at this. He, he answered questions with questions. So they're like, what gives you the right? Who, how do, why do you think you have this kind of authority? And Jesus said, well, I'll answer your question, but you gotta answer this question first. And here was his question. Did John's authority, he's talking about John the Baptist, whom we met in week one, all the way back in January, John the Baptist, his cousin, who came as a forerunner to Jesus, he, Jesus said this, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. Uh, first of all, I just love that. I bet you nobody had ever said that to anyone from the Sanhedrin ever before. Nobody would dare demand an answer from the Sanhedrin. Look, Jesus, the Sanhedrin are demanding an answer from Jesus. Who gives you, what gives you the right? Why do you think you have this kind of authority? He's like, hey, how about you answer me a question first, you knuckleheads? My translation, I don't know if you have that in there. Jesus is like, no, you answer me. I love it. I just love it. He's like pulling rank on these guys. 
Now, first of all, as we go on in this, in this passage, we see that, we see that, that uh, if you know this story, they, it says that they talked it over amongst themselves. They say, well, look, here's, here's they kind of a reason. Like, if we say it was from heaven, then he's going to ask why we didn't believe John. Okay? But if we dare say that it was merely human, we can't do that either. It says because they were afraid that, of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was, was a prophet. So they were, they were kind of in a tough spot here. So they finally just replied to Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. He, 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 he was better at their own game than they were. They were trying to trap him. He turned it around to trap them. And he put, they, put him, they put him in kind of this, this difficult political situation where they didn't, there wasn't a good answer. They didn't have a good, they couldn't give an answer. And so they said, well, we don't know. And so Jesus was like, all right, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. I just love it. It's so, it's so clever what Jesus does here. And I used to always think that Jesus only said that because that he asked the question about John's authority like Mark explains to us right here. I used to think that, that, that Jesus did that purely to kind of like evade, evade answering the question. But actually, there's more to it. Because in, in the baptism of Jesus is the seed of the truth that they're looking for. Think about it. They're saying, what gives you the right? Where does your authority come from? And Jesus points them all the way back to Mark chapter 1. Do you remember at Mark's baptism what happened? Or at Jesus' baptism? At Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist is baptizing him. First of all, he says, that guy, that guy is who I, this is, he is, he is so much, he's the one that my whole ministry is about, John the Baptist said. He's the one my whole ministry about, is about, I'm here to point to him. It's all about him. Remember John the Baptist said, he should become greater and I should become less, if you remember that. So first of all, John the Baptist was like all about Jesus. He was pointing everyone to Jesus. But secondly, at Jesus' baptism, you remember what happened? John, John puts him in the water, takes him out of the water, and a voice from heaven, the Father, God the Father, calls, calls from heaven and says, this is my dearly loved son, and I'm very pleased with him. Remember those words. From heaven, God the Father affirms the son. From heaven, God the Father marks, stamps the Son with his own authority. So this is, you know, Mark tells us this at the very beginning of his gospel is that Jesus has all the authority. And we've been learning this for what, 12, 11, 12 chapters now. We've been learning this, that Jesus has all the authority. When Jesus, when Jesus heals a, a blind man, he's showing that he has authority. When Jesus Walks on water, he's showing that he has authority. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 with just a, a few loaves and fishes, he's showing that he has authority. He has this authority that the, that the Sanhedrin doesn't know anything about. He has this incredible, like, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, we've just been seeing that Jesus has all the authority. What, over and over and over again, and the Sanhedrin sees some of this, but they don't see all of it. Some of it they hear about, some of it they see it with their own, with their own eyes. Last Yesterday, in real time, yesterday they saw Jesus flip, they got to see that, flipping over the tables. They didn't get to see what happened when Jesus cursed 
The fig tree, authority, authority, authority. There's all over the place. Jesus has all the authority. And it was, it was shown from day one of his ministry when his ministry started. Because he gets baptized to start his ministry, and God the Father says, that's my son. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. So it's more than just evading a question. Jesus isn't just dodging a question here. Jesus is actually saying, if you understood what happened at my baptism, then you would understand the answer to the question. But you don't. You don't get it. And then, and then, Jesus goes on to teach a parable. Mark chapter 12. And the reason we're including this today is because this has everything to do with the question that they asked Jesus about his authority. He decided he was gonna teach them about authority through a parable, because that's how Jesus loved to teach. And it's almost maybe just a little bit of a dig at them that he would use just a parable that everyone could understand, because they were Pharisees, and they loved studying really astute, higher-level stuff, and Jesus brought it all the way down to regular people's language. And he's gonna do it right now. Let me explain this to a five-year-old. It's like Jesus is saying that. And here's the story. A man planted a vineyard. The man is God in the story. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. And then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. The tenant farmer, I'm just gonna tell it to you because we don't have too much time. The tenant farmers are the Sanhedrin. God is the owner of the place. He leases He leases out the vineyard to the tenant farmers. He's basically saying, you you have the authority to look after the vineyard. Do it well. Okay, do you see what's going on here? He's setting them up. He's setting them up to understand that they're the bad guys in the story. Spoiler alert. At the time of the grape harvest, the man, the owner, God, sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. Because remember, the tenant farmers, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish nation, they're supposed to be like taking care of the crop, the people. They're supposed to be taking care of the, the farm. It's supposed to be bearing fruit, which it wasn't. Remember the fig tree last, the day before? So all this stuff is just all so interconnected. The farmers, here's what the farmers did. Here's what the leaders did, the Jewish leaders They grabbed the servant. The servant, by the way, is representative of the prophets of old. Because here's what God did. It wasn't just a problem 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day. It was a problem back in the Old Testament. God would send his prophets to the people and to the leaders of the people. And the leaders of the people would sometimes kill the prophets. And so this is, Jesus is like giving a summary of everything that went wrong in the Jewish faith. The farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, another prophet. But they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. So you see what Jesus is doing? I could just see the Sanhedrin getting so angry. They know exactly what he's doing. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left. His son, whom he loved dearly. Do you see it's the same language that we saw in Mark chapter one. Whose language? God the Father's language at his baptism. This is my dearly loved son. I love him. 
I love this guy. He's the best. (laughs) And now look at what's happening in this parable. The owner sends his son, which is exactly what God the Father had done in Jesus. He had sent his son. Thinking, surely they'll respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, remember, I mean, could you imagine Jesus is saying this to the Sanhedrin, looking them squarely in the eyes, like saying, I know what you guys are up to. I know what you guys are up to. They said to each other, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Jesus was prophesying to them about what they were going to do just literally four or five days later. He knew it. They knew it. I don't know that anybody else knew it. I don't know that his disciples had really fully understood this yet. Remember, they were the ones that were still trying to figure it all out. Jesus knew, the Sanhedrin knew, and Jesus was calling their bluff. By the way, when you, at first glance, when you read this story, you're like, you're thinking of the owner, you're like, why would you do that? Of course, they've killed everyone you've sent. Why would you send your son? Well, we know the answer to that. This was God's plan all along. God's actually behind this whole thing. God's not surprised by any of this. Jesus isn't surprised by any of this. He knows exactly what those guys are up to, and now they know that he knows what they're up to. And so he answers a question here at the end. If they're not mad enough, he answers this question with God's response, the the owner's response. He says, what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? When you do all the stuff you're about to do, what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? I'll tell you. They didn't answer. Second question, he asks them that they don't answer. He keeps asking questions that they don't know answers to. But he says, I'll tell you. He will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Oh my gosh. Like, those are fighting words right there. He will... Remember, the par- this, not all of Jesus' parables are like perfectly mapped one-to-one to like, but this one is. God is going to kill you, Jesus said to the Sanhedrin. God is going to destroy you and he's gonna dispossess you of the people of Israel. He's gonna dispossess you of your leadership. You're not gonna be leaders anymore. You're not gonna be able to lead the people anymore. God is gonna remove that from you and he's gonna give it to someone else. You know who else he was gonna, do you know who God was gonna give the authority to? To the disciples. To regular people who were not educated. I mean, I wanna make sure you understand this is what's going on here. He's saying, God let you lead this nation and you failed and he's gonna, he's gonna take that spiritual authority over that you used to have, he's gonna take that spiritual authority away from you and he's gonna give it to somebody else. And I don't think Peter, James, and John and those guys even knew what he was talking about, but it was those guys. They were the ones, fishermen and tax collectors were the ones that were gonna be leaders of God's new church. Fishermen and tax collectors. Not the Pharisees anymore. Regular people. Regular people were gonna be given this kind of authority. He's gonna take it away from the from the trained people who thought they had it all together, but they were wrong, they were arrogant, 
They were leading people away. They were, they were killing my prophets. They killed Jesus himself, and he's going to take it away. And then he says this. I love this. Here, this is where Psalm 118 comes in. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? And this is what they would be reading. Even the, even the Sanhedrin would be reading this and singing this because it was one of the Hallel Psalms. This, they'd be singing this a few days later, and Jesus quotes it. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Psalm 118. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Oh my gosh, we, we don't have enough time to get into all this, but this is so, this is so like brilliant. I don't even know what, what else to call it. This is so brilliant what Jesus is doing here. But now we know that Psalm 118 was about the Sanhedrin rejecting Jesus. The prophecy is being fulfilled right here. The stone, me, Jesus is saying, I'm the stone that you guys rejected, but it's become the cornerstone. And the coolest thing is, it's the Lord's doing. What? Wait a second, what? Jesus is saying, I mean, that's why I read Psalm 118 to start, because I wanted you to see that this was God's plan all along. The Sanhedrin thought that they were gonna, they were gonna outwit Jesus by the end of the week, but God was gonna outwit them because they thought they won when they hung Jesus on the cross, but three days later, Jesus rose again. And I think it's really instructive for us to understand that this is just how authority works. God is in control. God is in control. And that doesn't always mean that life is full of gumdrops and lollipops. God is in control of your story, of my story. God was in control of Jesus' story. And even though it would mean death, even though it would mean suffering for Jesus, because God had ordained it, God had said that it would be the case, even though there would be pain and suffering involved, at the end of the day, it was a wonderful thing to see. Because God's way is always best. And I almost wonder if Jesus wasn't even thinking about this when he, when he quoted Psalm 118. I wonder if he wasn't even just thinking about the fact that, that this was going to be hard in the next few days, because it was. Remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is like, Father, I don't, I don't want to drink this cup of suffering, but I'll do it. Because he knew, he knew that it was worth it. It goes on to say here in this passage, at the end of the passage, the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. He re- I mean, they, they're not dumb. He, they realized exactly what the story was about, but they were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. But they would come back. They would come back. These guys are the ones that would put him on trial, accuse him falsely of blasphemy, and then get the Romans to hang him on a cross, thus fulfilling Jesus' prophecy. But it wasn't their plan. It was God's plan. It was actually God's plan. This whole thing was God's plan. This whole thing was God's plan, which I know is really hard for us when we, when we think about that. Wait a second, why would God let bad things happen? I don't really fully understand the answer to that question. All I know is that God has the authority and it's a good thing that he does. It's a good thing that God's the one in charge and not us. 
Because I'd have probably written this whole thing totally differently. But God wrote it like this from the very beginning. He knew that Jesus would be rejected. He knew that Jesus, his only son, whom he loved so much. The Bible says that that the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain from the foundation of the earth. says that in Revelation. In other words, that when God... When God spoke the world into existence in Genesis 1, he knew that that would mean that Jesus would have to die on the cross. The Lord's doing. You know, you think about your future. God's already there. God's already there at your future. Like to know know that God's got this, that God has this whole thing under control is for those of us who are followers of Jesus and who, those of us who are really learning this and trying to grasp this, man, is it a powerful thing to know that he's in control. Because here's what that means. That means that, like what it says in Romans 8, 28, that, that God works all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Jesus, obviously, qualifies. But for so many of us who are followers of Jesus, like we can know that I don't know, maybe you're going through a financial thing or maybe you're going through a health crisis or maybe, who knows what kind of a crisis you're going through right now or maybe went through this year, earlier this year. Boy, it sure is good to know that God's in charge. It sure is good to know that, that this is the Lord's doing and that's a good thing. If God could turn something like the death of the only righteous person to ever walk the earth, if he could turn that into a good thing, He can turn your little situation and my little situation into a good thing as well. But what does it take? It takes submission to his authority. Man, that's a word we Americans hate. (laughs) We hate submission. We hate to submit. We want to push against this idea of authority. That's why I started with the question, is spiritual authority a thing anymore? Because some of you maybe thought I was going to say, no, it's not, because we're free in Jesus. But actually, spiritual authority was never the problem. The problem was toxic spiritual authority. Just because spiritual authority went wrong in the Jewish nation and maybe even in your home growing up or maybe in a church you grew up in doesn't mean that spiritual authority is no longer a thing. Like spiritual authority is God's thing. Do you notice in the parable that that when the tenant farmer screwed it up, God didn't just come in here and say, no more tenant farmers. No, he says, I'm going to give this to someone else. So he gave, it, he gave it to different leaders, to new leaders that he equipped. So spiritual authority is, is still a thing. And the truth is, when we come to God, we have to come to him recognizing that authority is a thing and that he has all the authority. You can't come to God as, you can't ask Jesus to be your savior if you're not willing to let him be your Lord. If you're not willing to to give him authority over your life, then you're not ready for him to save you yet. Because coming to faith in Jesus is about trusting in his authority and submitting to it. And I want to end with one more passage because this this is, I think, helpful for those of us who might maybe struggle with this idea of spiritual authority. It comes from Hebrews 13. Now this is, I know it sounds like an Old Testament book, the book of Hebrews, but it's actually a New Testament book. And it says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Pretty simple. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. There's two layers of authority right there. It's talking about their authority over you, that their work is to watch over your soul, but then it's talking about 
an even more important layer of authority, which is that they're accountable to God, that God is their authority. And so authority is good. It's intended to be good. The author goes on to say, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Do you see at the end of that passage what spiritual authority is about? It's about your benefit. It's about your benefit. Spiritual authority in the church, spiritual authority in the home. It's, a, it's, a, it's intended to be for the benefit of the people who sit under that authority. God has given leaders to us for our own good. And I just want to encourage you, just even as you think about this, even as you, even as you consider these, this passage and, and understand really the, the application in your life or in my life to this, I think we should look at this and like the, like the disciples did with Psalm 118 is just say, God, I just praise you for this. I'm gonna praise you for your authority. I'm gonna thank you for your authority because your authority is set up for my own good. And so Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross. The ultimate sign of his authority was to go to the cross and lay down his life for us to show, to show us how much we mean to him. And I wanna invite the the. Uh, worship team to come back up. Today we're going to just, in a real, I think it's super fitting that today we're going to end our service together by taking communion. Now when we take communion, it's a symbol. The, the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ and the, and the drink is a symbol of the blood of Christ. And when we take communion, it's all about, it's all about what happened at the end of this week that we're studying today. Because at the end of the week, Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. And and he rose from the dead three days later to prove his authority over sin and death and the grave. And today as we do this, I just, I wanna encourage you just as we do this, part of what this whole, this whole ritual, which is like the Christian version of Passover, part of what this whole ritual is about, the reason we do this every month, is because it just gives us an opportunity once again to just submit to Jesus, to his authority in our lives. Just say thank you for what you did and Jesus, we submit to you. You're in charge, we're not. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the authority that you exercise over sin and death in the grave. And we, and we give our lives to you. We submit our lives to you. That's what we're gonna do today. So if you're here today and if you've invited Jesus to be savior of your life, if you're a Christian, we invite you to participate in this with us. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So here at Alpine, what we do is just in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And then during this next song, we just invite you to come forward. You can come to one of these, these stations up here. There's a couple stations in the back as well. Grab a, grab a cup, grab a wafer, and, and then we encourage you just to go back to your seat. And if you're here with your family or a small group or a friend, we encourage you to do communion together. Thank God for the elements and take the elements just whenever you're ready during this next song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you sent your son, your dearly loved son. Jesus, thank you that you submitted to the plan of the Father and that you went to the cross and you died on the cross for our sins. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't stay dead, but God, that you rose from the dead. 
Jesus, to show your authority over sin and death and the grave. And today we submit to that authority. And we say thank you that your authority is good. God, that we can trust in you in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.